how do you know if you're at the point where you need to contest and yield? If you're more discouraged every day in your partnership than you are encouraged, you need it. Mm. If you're so disappointed, you're no longer telling the truth to your partner, even about the super positive things, you need it. If you've already anticipated in your head and you're already envisioning the divorce or the breakup or the separation, you need it. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril here with my co host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. Okay, Elliot, so a topic that has been on my heart recently is the idea we've talked about power balance before, and I don't think we can really talk too much about power because it's such a delicate balance and it's always at work, even though sometimes couples want to act like, oh no, we just love each other so much. We don't have power struggles, but power, it's like saying, oh, I love the earth so much. I don't have to worry about gravity. Yeah, you do because gravity exists and it is operating upon you at all times, whether you acknowledge it or not. So I see that as an analogy to power. And my concern is that when you have, once you're married, like a lot of this negotiating you have the freedom and probably more flexibility to navigate these power waters when you're dating. But once you're married and then kids, now there are commitments that can in some ways start to calcify the power dynamics in ways that maybe are disempowering to one partner. So I'm thinking about if a couple has some power plays in place where one of the partners is demonstrating that they have the power, what can the other partner do? Yeah, first I want to say that power is not always negative and not always bad. And power doesn't always mean dogmatic authority and ruling and demanding. And so when you're talking about those natural power systemics, Karen, sometimes there's a fluid organic, hey, my man or my woman is really good at this or is very organized or detailed. And so they'll lead the structure of the family. They'll lead the finances or lead something. But it doesn't mean they have the power there. In fact, they might just be the note taker and the bookkeeper. But the other partner might be the one who actually makes the final call on all that stuff. And so then the power, even if 80% of the work is done by one partner, the power is actually with the one who has the veto. So the power isn't always so easily seen. And the negotiation then or the leveraging can be really quite dynamic and move around without couples ever talking about it. So that's the first kind of foundational piece I want to talk about. And then secondly, you're very right to astutely say there's a big difference in power balance premaritally to maritally. Right. Our premarriage to marriage. And so often we, it's not like we're hiding parts of ourselves, but we are putting that best self forward and maybe things bother us a little bit, but we're like, but everything else is so good. I'm not going to worry about it. And then all of a sudden you're into the finality of the commitment and each get a little more rooted in their basic compulsions or their basic needs or their basic styles. And, and what happens so often, which is so strange, but fascinatingly interesting at the same time is that couples will come in and ask me things like, do you think we can talk about this? And it's something as simple as like maybe the daily chores in the house. And they've gotten stuck and feel unable or incapable, unable or incapable to 
just have a healthy conversation about, hey, I feel like I'm doing too much of the work in the house and you're not. And so these dynamics then of conflict and of communication patterns or busyness or children seemingly put our relationship, our marital balance of communication itself just shoves it down. And instead of talking regularly about important functional or spiritual or emotional or mental sexual things, we only talk about, do we have enough ketchup? And did we pick up the diapers? And who's watching the kids this week? And so these variables of power, I think, are all over the place. And I just wanted to start with that foundation before we then went into a couple specifics about how to create really a healthy crisis in marriage or in partnership. Which sounds like counterintuitive. Like, why would anyone invite a crisis into their marriage? But you're asserting that there may be times when a power imbalance can only be corrected through a crisis. Yes. And that if we don't create one ourselves, one is likely coming. That you didn't control, like a controlled burn when the firefighters will go out to the woods somewhere and control the burn because they know the burn's going to come anyway. The fire, forest fires is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So many of the couples I work with tell me in reflection, something was coming to force us to deal with these issues. I felt it a year and a half ago. I felt it nine months ago. I felt it six weeks ago. And now I'm not surprised X happened. Yeah. The emotional affair, the physical affair, the first time someone hits somebody, the porn addiction comes out, the gambling addiction come out, something like the escape valve eventually blows. And majority of the time, especially with the men I work with, the majority of the time the men are like, I'm so glad this is finally out. Yeah. Because now we can talk about it. Yes, screwed up. Or yes, I have some struggles here, but it's just a chance to get open and authentic and vulnerable and then even acknowledge hey, this isn't your fault that I chose these behaviors, but in our partnership, in our communication, in our connection and style, we're missing some things together. And I didn't know how to bring it up. I didn't know how to confront or ask or be emotional. And now it's out in the open and we have to deal with it anyway. That's what we mean about rather than letting that crisis externally Mm -hmm. come to the marriage, trying to internally bring it up first. Because the external ones, you and I both know this in our clinical work, 50% 50% of the times, those external ones aren't repairable. The external the, crises. Yeah, the one that yeah, kind of... Get, if it gets to an affair, if it gets to an addiction. Yeah. Something and the difference in affairs with I'm confessing something or addictions versus I'm caught is a huge dynamic and trust rebuild and either spouse's willingness to jump back in or enter back into the recovery work. Elliot, I remember from Professor Shea's class, Marriage and Family, I'll never forget it wrote it down in my notes, thought about it at the time. I'm sure I was dating Eric Rogers, thought about it in the context of the dating relationships I had subsequent to that. The law of least interest. The partner who is least interested in maintaining the relationship has the most power. Now, again, dating, you there is no guarantee that this is going to go the distance. And certainly in marriage, there isn't either, except you have now said vows and you've made legal arrangements to be partners. So there's obviously more that's holding you together, we hope. But there's still the law of least interest at work, even in marriage. And if you're the partner who is more interested, then you have less power. And how do you reconcile that? How do you get more power in the relationship without, like you said, going into this domineering this bossy kind of, I'm going to take control here, which then goes to something else we talk about all the time, that you're now parentifying 
your spouse. So what do you say to someone who goes, I know that I have less power because my husband keeps having inappropriate conversations with people online or my husband keeps saying, I can tell he's checking out these women when we're on dates together and he won't stop. What does a woman do when that's happening? Yeah, again, you gave me too many points. I got to go Sorry. backtrack on this first. <laughs> so that least interested spouse is such a fascinating kind of polar extreme because often it's the avoidant partner, if we're going to talk our attachment theories, Yeah, who is scared of the intimacy and scared of the vulnerability of the commitment and through his deactivating behaviors puts the more anxious partner into that position of feeling, oh my gosh, my mm-hmm. partner's not interested. Right. And then they do what's called protest behaviors and then start complaining or whining or bringing up case point after case point. You're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this. And it feels better to an anxious attached person to do that, but it actually creates less power and less leverage. And it makes the avoidant feel like, oh, now they're chasing me. And, and that whole cycle go back to our previous episodes on anxious attachment and avoidant attachments is a real huge factor in power leverage. So you and I have both coached many folks, males and females in the anxious side to actually retreat. Right. And so back now to your question, Mm -hmm. when someone recognizes, oh my goodness, I have not enough power. I'm feeling a little bit lost. Like my partner might be less interested in me and potentially interested in others at the moment. Yeah. Normally our natural response is then to obviously take our stand or to become more protesting in verbs and words and action. And I'm not sure that often works, though I certainly don't want a client not to speak their mind mm-hmm. and share what they're seeing or saying or feeling. But rather than now you're going to be accountable to me, I'm going to check your phone every night or things like that, which then creates that parental transactional analysis stuff we were talking about, see previous Mm -hmm. episodes, that might work temporarily, but that'll actually cause the least interested one to pack their bags because they're going to feel emasculated or eroded of their positional balance. And so again, you can do that temporarily in extreme cases. I don't want to go through all those, what those look, but you can do that temporarily just to build a little more security and trust for a small period of time, but that'll continue the parental piece, which drives most people bonkers. And you're like, I don't, I didn't sign up for this partnership to have a second mom or a second dad. And for the anxious attacher or for the one who's feeling wounded, sometimes it feels like I have to be parental because they jacked up, they screwed up, they were immature, they're irresponsible. I have to now do that. And by doing that, you're actually sending the relationship further south, even if it temporarily works. That's what's so paradoxical about that systemic. So what can that person do if they know the phraseology I use with my clients and several of them just last week, Karen, said this has been such a helpful tool for them. It's called contest and yield. Contest and yield. So in certain cases of late that I've had this whole 2023, the husband's checking out. He's disengaging. He's less interested. And what happens to a woman when that happens, especially if they have kids? Oh my gosh, it's panic, right? Absolutely, sure. of course it is. It's natural, completely understood panic and protest, protest, chase, chase. Normally, if it doesn't work immediately, if the husband or wife doesn't or the partner doesn't immediately say, oh my goodness, you're right, I need to come back, get myself in check and start working on it, 
you got to stop. So you can test. That's why I was telling you earlier, you say, hey, sit down with the partner, get away from the kids, get away from the house if you can, and get a little environmental peace and contest what's going on. Contest it from your own personal side, not from a you're doing this, you're doing that, but rather I'm feeling this based on what I'm seeing. Okay. It feels like you're not as interested in me and the family based on your traveling schedule, based on commentary, based on you're no longer touching me as much or interested in sex as much, which is always a red flag for either side of the partnership, either gender. Mm -hmm. And so you're basing it on yourself, not attacking. There are three A's of building intimacy, acceptance, appreciation, and affirmation. I love you, honey, but I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I'm concerned because of these observational things rather than you're so this, you're so that, that attack the assumptions and the accusations. That drives a wedge and builds defense mechanisms back and forth and creates further conflict. And a majority of the time, one person relationship hates conflict or will shut down or back out or go catatonic or disassociate. Contest and yield. If our listeners can hear that and listen to that and grab hold on it. What do I mean by yield? Right. If your partner is obviously doing things that are deactivating the relationship or like you said, blatantly showing disregard. Yeah, I'm checking out these babes or yeah, I'm checking out that dude or I really don't respect my husband much. I respect this guy a ton. So I'm hanging out with him all the time, even though I don't plan on divorcing my husband. That's inappropriate behavior, right? We don't just talk with an old flame or an old love loved one, even though we might not be saying anything truly scandalous, but we don't have these outside relational connections with people of the opposite gender especially when they're private and secretive. The moment they're private and secretive, we know they're wrong. And so if you are connecting with someone from the past or a friend, you got to bring your partner into it and keep them in it the entire time. And most of the time it's going to lose that edge and interest anyway, because now your partner's in it. You're like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. So you can test the behaviors and then you yield. So yielding to it is actually saying, I'm upset about this. I'm bothered by it, but I'm not going to fight you on this. I'm not going to nonstop make your life miserable because that tends to drive the avoider or the one who's wandering a little bit or deactivating a little bit actually drives them to more. And then they use it as fuel because now you're being witchy or now you're being a controlling jerk or now you're being all narcissistic. So now I have even better freedoms and more desire to do my own thing because you're obviously can't handle whatever in that cycle and that spin. So by contesting, stating it, bringing it up and then yielding, say, I obviously am not happy with this. And here's what I'd love to see happen. It's up to you if you're going to choose to help us in our relationship that way. The yield without the contest looks almost like concession and can often fuel the one deactivating or starting to pull away as proof and affirmation. It's not right. Oh, So we can't okay. just passively disappear into the corner and see if our man or woman is going to come back. And I say contest, not protest. That's important distinction. It is an important distinction. And these mental semantics are huge. And just a client I met with yesterday, I know I met with a couple on Mother's Day, but I got approval from Angie. She's a mother as well. Got approval from her and her husband. But she was talking about how important the semantics have been for her mm -hmm. to release things rather than let them go. Mm -hmm. And then another client last week talked about the contest piece is been so important. And she's actually been sharing that with her family members who are wanting her to protest more. And she's trying to explain to them biblically mm -hmm. and spiritually, emotionally, mentally, why protesting gets her angry and frustrated and whiny 
but contesting helps her feel empowered and strong and just stating her position with love and grace. We can't just yield without the contest. And sometimes it's more helpful to write out exactly what you're contesting. I feel this is inappropriate when you're talking to these people. I feel and believe we need more time together, just us. We need to build better boundaries and actually planning some structured times to walk through what these different variables look like. And again, you'll know pretty quickly if the partner's defensive and angry and attacks back and is no way I'm doing this stuff. You're getting your answers pretty quickly. Even if they're a tiny bit defensive, but apologize and say, you're right, let's work on some stuff. Then you have opportunity now, your power dynamic just jumped up a little bit and you have an immediate opportunity to start leveraging a little bit carefully on what does this look like. When someone's not making us a priority in an intimate, connected partnership, it is absolutely terrifying because we've already, we already all went all in because we're committed, whether it's a marriage or not, we're living together or we've been dating for seven years. And so, yes, it is almost blocking the panic and the terrifying feelings and emotions and saying, I have to contest in a gracious, loving, appropriate manner. I like the brass tacks here because again, as we said, the panic sets in. And then even if you've been pretty securely attached for whatever period of time you've been together, you would default to something that would again, try to get the control back. And so for the anxious, they're going to protest and they're going to chase. And for the people who lean more on the avoidance side of things, they're going to recoil. And again, without having that conversation, that could just also continue to feed into this feedback loop. And the person who is the partner who has the least interest at this point in time and is behaving badly will go, we'll see. I had, like you said, I have every reason to behave badly because look, they don't even care that much. So it's confirming whatever kind of things they've been telling themselves in their heads. Yeah. And we all know whether we're an avoider, we're anxious, whether we're a confronter or we're a withdrawer, we all know we don't want to be demanded or controlled to feel something or do something. Right. Whether you're super feisty, ornery like me or more chilled and compliant like you, Nobody likes to be controlled. No one likes to be handled. You use that language. It's funny. No one likes to be handled, right? No one likes to be handled. And there are some super, super submissive compliant people. So maybe we're being a little bit hyperbolic here, but for a majority of people do not like to be commanded to do something. And so you, if you have a really strong-willed partner acting inappropriately or starting to disengage or show deactivation the worst thing you can do is throw ultimatums on them. Yeah. And I wanted to get to that. I want to ask when you would need to, because I would imagine there would come a point in a relationship though, where you've gotten to the crisis level now and an ultimatum may be appropriate. I'm not, I'm not a fan of ultimatums because I don't want to make anybody, I don't want to threaten anyone and say, if you don't do this, that I'm out because basically what you're saying then is you don't want to do this on your own accord. You don't want to love me appropriately because you just want to love me appropriately. Yeah. And again, I had hear to my, force this from you. That's not exactly a, what's the reward there. Yeah. Like hear I my heart you? on this piece. So people are going to say, what in the world? What do you mean? No ultimatum. I'm saying you can test and yield still. And if you get to the point where you need to say something like, okay, we've talked through this a couple of times. I've made my points. I don't feel this relationship's healthy or appropriate. We now have more evidence that you guys are talking much more significantly about emotional, physical, sexual things. Totally crossed all the lines. This has to stop now or I'm going to pursue divorce. 
that's much different than an ultimatum. How? The ultimatum is saying up front, this is over or I'm done, or I'm going to do this. And if we don't mean those threats, you can't, you don't want to say them. Because then the moment you don't follow through, you've lost even more power. So I'm saying the contest and yield part is, I'm contesting the behavior, but I'm yielding to your decision, but I'm going to be empowered to make a decision I need to make, whether or not you activate or deactivate. So I'm trying to give the individual person who's in the contesting mode some self-empowerment, or if they don't want the divorce, don't want the separation, don't say it. But if that other person brings it up or brings it forward, I'm saying yield and say, okay, if that's what you're choosing to do, I hate this. I don't want it at all. I think you're making a gigantic mistake, but I'm not going to go fight you on this for the next year and a half and absolutely torment us, myself, our children, you, and then War of the Roses happens, see the Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner movie. And a couple that at one point was symbiotic and great harmony is now literally threatening to kill each other. And these extremes happen all the time. So I'm being yeah. dramatic, but like I've that. heard them from couples right next to each other in my office saying those kind of violent things. And most of them godly, wonderful people. Saying, I want to kill you at this point? Yeah, I could kill you. I could just slap you in the face so hard right now, I wouldn't care. Those kind of comments. Where it gets this so much anger and so much pent yeah. up hurt. I get it, right? We all get it. If you put yourself in any kind of situation with a very committed romantic relationship, it can be a terrifying position. So do you always contest, yield, and then the final is what you're saying is that this is what I'm experiencing and this is something I can't live in. Mm -hmm. I'm unwilling any longer. I'm unwilling any longer. So, so it's not all I mean. I'm, I'm just making a choice. Right. I'm pursuing divorce. Or do you or ever I'm say, done. or do you ever say a step before that? I'm pursuing, I'm going to, we're separating. I'm going to. Yes. To give them a taste of what it's like to not yes. be with them. Is that separation a first Separation can work. But if it's not really structured and laid out exactly how long, exactly what we're doing, what conditions are part of that, it just, it delays the inevitable. Okay. Especially when you got a bunch of kids involved. Yeah. Because, okay, you're separating, and now the one who's going to have the kids live with them still now has more work mm -hmm. and more difficulty. And if engagement with the children and parenting was part of the issue, now you magnified it by 10. You're not going to now be separate from your spouse. Normally, a husband obviously would be the one to leave the kids more than the mom. You're not going to, it's not going to all of a sudden go, oh, this is much better. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying separation isn't a good, viable step, but not if the one deactivating has shown no desire to come back or work on anything. And deactivating, you mean the one who has the less in Yeah, if they're showing continued less interest and right. even further pulling away, separation is not going to bring them back. Mm -hmm. It just releases them even more to feel, do what they feel is necessary. That's sometimes the right yield. But as far as a separation to help bring a more equal position, I've just never seen that work. Now, the person who's hurt or being offended by the lack of equity in relational connection, partnership, for them to say, I'm asking you to leave the home, that's way different than a mutually agreed upon separation. Do you hear that difference again? Just mm -hmm. a small variable. So now it's, hey, we contested and we talked this through. You've continued to choose these behaviors with this woman or this money or this whatever or for a woman, this man or this thing. 
Therefore, I'm asking you to leave. I'm not asking, I'm not going to divorce you at the moment, but I'm asking you to leave. I'm going to think through whether I'm still invested and willing to work through this partnership. I want you to do the same. See, now the one who has no power is empowering and taking control and action in their own hands. Now, you don't want to do that vindictively because then you're just going to get riled up in your revenge and now you're just going to try to hurt the person. And if the goal is reconciliation, you can't just attack them on their way out. Even though I totally understand the pain and the hurt and the frustration, I'm not saying you can't be angry. Right. But again, you're trying to contest and you're empowering. You're saying, this is what's going to happen based on these situations. I'm not willing. I loved your language there. I'm not willing to live in this or accept this or affirm this any longer. So it is hard, Karen, for a person who is on the avoidance side, the withdrawal side, the non-confrontational side to get to that point without some support, encouragement, and help from a good therapist, pastor, good friend, or whatever. It's really hard to do, especially when there's children involved. Yeah. And just when there's so much, like you said, panic mode, which is understandable. People don't walk down the aisle and make vows in a church before God to anticipate that someday they're going to be like, I need you to leave this house. That's just not in the plan. Yeah. It's awful. We'd love to connect with you further via our weekly newsletter. Joining the Love & Life family gets you first access to bonus content and flash sale pricing for books and consultations. And when you sign up, you'll receive Karen's Empowered Dating Playbook or my Empowered Marriage Playbook. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com to join the Love & Life family. So I wanted to circle back to, you started with some I statements and I want to be real clear because that's such a basic foundational way for communication for anyone. And it's something that probably many people have gone over at some point in their time in their life, but it's nice to revisit this. So your I statements are always about how you feel when this happens. And that takes Not away- Not how the person makes you feel. Right. That's a huge difference. Because no one can make you feel anything. We can right. sit on this for a moment. But it's totally understandable that you're like, you're making, so you're saying, I'm going to contest and you're, it's really difficult for you. You're not a confronter. You sit down, you're almost having a panic attack before you bring it up. And then you're like, okay, I'm frustrated with what's going on. And you're making me feel this and you're making me do this. And right. boom, you just, you have one good statement and then out of your nerves and your fear- you start saying make, and that puts you in a disempowering, one down, less equitable position again. So you have to be able to say, and that's why writing it out sometimes is super helpful. For sure. And again, don't pass it on to his sister or something. Pass it on to someone neutral who can work on this with you and say, and someone who knows what they're doing in these therapeutic maneuvers and manners to just say, does this sound reasonable? Am I way off base here? You don't want to triangulate and bring all kinds of people in. But if you're not a confronter, you feel like you're writing German or something and you have no idea what you're doing. So it's just trying to lay out, I'm feeling this because of these behaviors. This is what I'm observing. And this is how it's, what it's doing to me. I'm feeling, it's totally fine to say I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling removed. I'm feeling like I'm not a priority. All those things are fine. I just, you just don't want to make them based on you're making me do this and you're making me do this to saying, this is how I'm responding to what's happening. It's so subtle, Karen, but it's huge. Yeah, that's why I wanted to go over it again because I think that, again, someone who's listening and going, oh, wow, I'm identifying that there's a law of least interest reality in my marriage right now, or even with a friendship where you're feeling Mm -hmm. that you're disconnected or anyone can benefit from just a good reminder of how effective communication works and that we own. I do feel this 
when this happens. You can really detach it from the person mm -hmm. so that there's not the finger in their face. There's not the you always, you never. This yeah. It's your fault that I'm in this emotional state that I'm in. That's actually <laughs> locus of control stuff. Going back to some more Psych 101, our locus... Who controls my day? Who controls my emotions throughout the day? Me or all these external forces that I can't control. And we know the research shows that the more that we feel in control and feel empowered, the happier we are and the more well-functioning we are and our emotional well-being is better. So all of that is important just to underscore. And most of the avoiders who have the least interest potential in a regular partnership don't respond well to over-emotionalization. And so that's, again, the anxious person tends to be a little more emotional based anyway. That's just my experience in 30 years of doing this. And so talking yourself through it, and yes, it's an emotional issue. I'm not saying deny yourself, and you can use emotional words, but breaking down in hysterics and screaming and yelling, even if it's very appropriate emotion and frustration and hurt, isn't likely going to help the contestant yield peace. It's going right. to feel like protest and panic. Yep. And again, most people who are disinterested and deactivated and avoiding, they're like, this kind of proves my point. Yep. They can't <laughs> handle life. They can't. I've heard those idiotic statements in my session. Well, yeah. Because right? they're trying to check out and give themselves rational and justification to leave. Mm -hmm. And so now they're even baiting the person in my office and I have to call them on that. Wow. I'm like, you just baited her or you just baited him. You thought it was she was vulnerable or he was vulnerable and you poked and watched them reaction. Now you got a little bit of a smug look on your face that you helped your partner break down right here in front of me to prove your point. They don't often like that in a session. They don't like being called out. Oh, I'm sure they don't. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's sometimes super helpful and allows the partner who's feeling wounded to feel a tiny bit empowered that at least I see it. Right. Even if I'm not saying, hey, he's the reason or she's the reason now this isn't going to work. I'm just pointing out the systemic so we can process through it and say, how are we going to work on new functional communication that builds the positivity and the wholeness to build retrust or to build a new foundation rather than just saying, this is cracked and broken. Now let's separate for six months and see if it magically heals. Hmm. How? Yeah. Distance isn't going to necessarily do anything except give the person whose bad behavior has been the problem or one of the problems. Again, it's a partnership. Yeah. It's going to give them free reign and lots of time and And, and it often roots the pain for both. And then if they don't miss each other that much in that separation, because they don't know what to do within that separation to help build something, it's what, how do we do an effective, strategic, biblical separation even mm -hmm. in a marital context or a committed relationship partnership in order to actually facilitate the new trust, the new encouragement, the new hope? If you're interested in processing further as you align your mind, body, and spirit, we're here for you. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Us tab. There you can book individual or couples sessions. Or sign up for one of our support groups. Purchase one session or a multiple session package. We'd love to work with you. Sign up at loveandlifemedia.com. What if the person who recognizes I do need to have some of this contesting conversation and and they're feeling that I would really love to get that outside help. I want my husband, wife to go to counseling with me and the other person who has the least interest and has the power refuses. Yes, and great point. I'm glad you went there. 
So often the contesting behavior or communication should include, we need to get some help for our marriage or our partnership. 97 out of 100 times, the partner disinterest is going to go, not interested. <laughs> right, because they're like, I'm actually fine. I'm actually doing well. I'm great. You got thanks. these insecurities. You got these anxiousness. None of that's real. It's just in your head. Turn it back on the person. So again, what's the yield behavior here? The contest can't turn into protest because then it's going to cause the anxiety and fear and drive that person away. In fact, they might even laugh at you, which is so belittling mm. and demeaning in a relationship. Like now you're feeling like I see this massive issue and my partner not only doesn't see it, is unwilling to see it and doesn't even care. Now you're three times as defeated. So the contest there would be, okay, you're yielding. You don't want to do that. I am going to go seek some intervention for myself and walk through this and figure out what's going on. So I know how better to handle the situation. And then you find someone like you or I or others who do this kind of work, Jill and Mark Savage, and you go for individual help. Now, I've said this before on the program, if you come as an individual, it's not marital counseling. But we can talk about your marriage and get some hopes and thoughts mm -hmm. and kind of some encouragement and empowerment about what does the systemic look like? What does dynamic look like? I'm with several clients, several who've come through this podcast right now, and we're probably 18 to 25 sessions in and the partner is yet to join. The stated goal up front was for that. Mm. So that's not happening. But in that disinterest or unwillingness, rather than spend the session critiquing and hammering on that partner, which doesn't do anything but solidify the anger and the frustration, we talked strategically about how to empower self to be as healthy, as whole as possible, and then how to contest and yield, how to share more honestly from the heart, how not to concede too early or to dance and protect around or codependently allow the person to be deactivated and just feel it's all your own fault all kinds of those dancing around behaviors. So sometimes you have to take that step in your own empowerment. Part of the contestant yield is to get your own individual work on you. And I wouldn't go to a therapist or sign up for you and me, even in your goal, your stated goal, I mean, I want my husband or my wife to be digging me more, you know, or to be totally in or to avoid any of these other scenarios. Certainly that's a secondary goal, but a primary goal is I just want to be empowered to be a better person myself so I can be a more effective communicator and partner in this relationship, whatever the result's going to be, we'll find out. But if your stated goal is, I need my marriage fixed, I get that a lot. Can you sure. help me fix my marriage? No. <laughs> I can help you process and heal and make the best choices you possibly can. Sometimes that'll include a marriage fix, but it, it, I'm not going to take credit for that. Does that make sense? Those little dynamic switches well, again? And, on the individual level, if they do yes. come as a couple, can you help us fix our marriage? Then yes, yeah, I still, I try to change the language as soon like as fixed. possible. Yeah. No, okay. I can help you heal. Okay. I can help you build new foundation, new trust. Again, not saying let's go back to the old, but once a crisis has hit and a couple comes in because they need work, whatever level it is that causes a couple to come to a marital counselor normally means it's hurt enough or broken enough that they need new. Now, some couples will come in simply like an oil change. We're doing mm -hmm. pretty well overall. We just kind of like process. That is a little different. Mm -hmm. Then if they'll say something like, we just want to fix our bedtime routine for the kids. I'm like, I don't mind that language. Right. <laughs> so right. we're just talking about a functional reality where someone's misaligned here for a minute or feeling hurt. And we can walk through that probably in one session and be done. So I know it's a bunch of semantics, but I, I do think they matter. Oh, I think they definitely matter. And an empowerment of self within a marriage partnership when something is out of balance and out of power. And like you said, that law of least 
attention, affection, and interest is hugely scary. It's Get working, the work done. Get the you, work done individually. Yep. Whether you acknowledge that it's a thing or not, it is. I'll go back to gravity. Gravity is operating up on us at all times, whether we yeah. acknowledge it or not. So that law. And one of the checkpoints, Karen. Yeah. I keep cutting you off. I'm being a terrible big brother You're today. A typical big brother. Yeah, I'm a little hyped up too. Sorry. <laughs> How do you know then? I wanted to, for your listeners, how do you know if you're at the point where you need to contest and yield? If you're more discouraged every day in your partnership than you are encouraged, you need it. Mm. If you're so disappointed, you're no longer telling the truth to your partner, even about the super positive things, you need it. If you've already anticipated in your head and you're already envisioning the divorce or the breakup or the separation, you need it. And I'm not saying... Any of the listeners who are struggling here right now are at fault for any of this. I'm saying if that's the reality in your heart and soul and the anxiousness and the panic is already rooting deep in your spirit, even if your partner is not checking out and just is having a bad month or two, you're going to project now that essence, that energy is going to get projected. And again, for an avoider, if you're anxious and that anxious energy has come flowing, you got to get some work done for yourself first. I would, again, contest and be honest with your partner or your spouse. This is where I'm feeling. This is what I'm feeling. This is how I'm struggling. I think I'm going to go see a therapist for a while. Love to have you join me in some marital work if you're willing. But if not, I'm going. Our satisfaction and joy in life is directly related to our satisfaction and joy in our relationships. Elliot and I are here to help. We'd love to design a workshop, seminar, or weekend retreat for your organization. We'll bring the psych research, of course, along with over 60 years of combined experience in psychotherapy. We'll share science-based therapeutic techniques within the context of a Christian worldview. We can level up in our relationships. Contact our producer, Tim May, at tim at loveandlifemedia.com to book us. Yeah. So as we wrap up, Elliot, I think that some of the key takeaways are the I statements we've talked about. I love your language. I think that the difference there is critical to be looking at instead of protesting behaviors and chasing for those anxious folks, we're going to contest, which is just to be very honest about our experience in the current context mm-hmm. of the dynamics they're in. And then the yielding is not a recoiling. It's not withdrawing. It is yielding to, I'm not going to try to manipulate or micromanage or get into a parentified mm-hmm. identity with my spouse. That's not going to be helpful. So, and again, the, remembering the law of least interest for those of the, of our community who are in the dating scene, be in touch with that level, even in early mm-hmm. days of dating which is why we always talk about pacing. And that's something we'll revisit, of course, in the future. But uh, yeah, I just like the idea of bringing in the attachment styles as you did and bringing in this very healthy communication, owning our emotional responses, but then stating with I statements, I feel this when this is happening. Not when you do this and you always, but going into just these very matter of fact mode. And your recommendation to write some of this out is critical, especially if you're hyper anxious or if you're avoidant. And so confrontation is just not your favorite thing. You might go into, like you said, and I can, I got it. I spot it because I got it. It's that sometimes (laughs) you may be able to talk this over with your best friend or whoever has been your sounding board. But in that moment, 
some of those thoughts may just go out of your head and you'll be like, wait, I had this all locked in. I was going to communicate this so effectively. And so to have even some bullet points written down on a piece of paper, I do not think is a bad idea. No, not at all. And again, if your partner that you're contesting to is super introverted and quiet and unemotional by nature, 27 bullet points in your contestant yield <laughs> session is not going to help. Now you might have 50 that you need to write out, but you're going to need to do it in pacing. The same way we pace in dating is the same way we got to pace when we're contesting and yielding based on personality, temperaments, attachment. And again, I just want to give a shout out to you, Karen, because you are so good with your words and your semantics and your really sharp communication mind that for any of our lady listeners out there who want the female perspective and help with that wording, you would be a tremendous clinician to help them, even though you're not doing too much counseling practice per se anymore. Not that I can't help as well for the masculine perspective inside, but I think you're a wordsmith in general connectivity of giftedness and would really help a lot of ladies. And you also know what it's like to be a non-confronter yeah, and to know what it's like to freeze a little bit. Mm-hmm. We won't go through our family history together, but <laughs> <laughs> I was with you on one of those occasions where as brilliant as yeah. you are, you froze a little bit. It was just too difficult. Totally. It was really hard. And again, we had great grace. It's a real thing. We get it. We understand. We, we know the personal mm-hmm. side of this and the clinical side. And so Mm-hmm. We're not trying to drum up money from the listeners or no, <laughs> something no. like that. It's not a hard PR sell. It's just such a delicate and important matter. And the clients that can grab onto this new language and these new terms, it helps so much to give a different mm-hmm. lens and perspective. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is power. Language is power. And since we've been Empowerment talking about power. Empowerment yeah. gets to equity. Empowerment gets to equity. You can phrase that better. No. But you, yeah. If there's a power imbalance, there has to be an empowered response, not a clingy, needy, chasing response or recoiling, shutting down response. There has to be an empowered response. And that's what we're trying to lay out here today. And thank you for those kind words about my ability to at least craft some thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's why I love CBT so much because I I know in my own self-talk over the years, when I've reframed my own just inner monologue, it's been mm-hmm. so empowering for me. It, it can sh- it can immediately sh- change the way that I walk about my day. If I see myself or catch yeah. myself getting into those negative thought patterns, I can just reframe and just speak more truth, which I want to do an episode about that because a lot of what our community and the broader community, not just mm-hmm. the Love and Life listeners, but when people are dealing with these issues, this negativity, the disempowered cognitive distortions, a lot of the times... It's just flat out lies. They're believing lies about themselves, about life, about hope and opportunity. They're just believing lies. And so we got to tackle that too. Yeah. My sermon series right now for May and June is on igniting our lives in Christ. And I'm attacking, this is pertinent to our information and to what we're talking about. I'm attacking these very CBT things in scriptural truth. So this Sunday is spirit versus flesh. The Sunday mm-hmm. after that is light versus dark. Mm-hmm. The sermon after that is lies versus truth. Mm-hmm. Control versus release. So these, all these, and they're so pertinent in, in, in psychology CBT work as well. And so I just want to throw that out. All right, let me pray for our listeners. Yep. All right, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to talk about a very uh, nuanced, organic, and sometime abstract 
reality in marriage or committed partnership dynamics. When the leverage and the power balance is frightening and difficult, and there seems to be a partner or a committed member who's disinterested and starting to act out in ways that are just not appropriate and that cause great stress and anxiety and sometimes terrifying panic. So as we walk through some strategies and some anecdotal understanding that couples and partners have used and semantic and language change, the old rename, reframe, and reclaim processes of cognitive behavior therapy, we pray, Lord, for any listener wrestling through these realities right now, that they'd be encouraged and inspired and empowered to work on their I statements, to work on their boundaries, to work on their willingness to contest and yield and find the holiness of the results, not just happiness. Pray, Lord, for all listeners. Thank you for this opportunity to share in these ways. Amen. Amen. We want to thank you, as always, for joining us today. We really appreciate you being a part of the Love and Life family. Please keep your questions coming. We want to share what's on our heart and some of the circumstances and situations that we encounter. But most importantly, we want to share content and practical advice and wisdom for what's on your heart and what you're going through. It's so important to us to know that we are meeting you where you are and with the concerns that are applicable to you in this moment of time. Elliot's sermons will be available. I love that idea, Elliot, of just grabbing that link that I get from the newsletter and then from the Solid Rock newsletter and then sharing that with the Love and Life community for anyone who wants to hear some of this, especially with this current series that sounds very on brand for Love and Life. Absolutely. Amen to that. We're here to help us all align our mind, body, and spirit for empowered relationships. And until next time, make it a a great week. week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.